This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Excuse me. The reason for granting hospitals the right to move patients without their consent is that these institutions are at risk of being overwhelmed. What's the situation now? Uh, First of all, let me give you the numbers if you want to weigh in. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now let's check in with a doctor on the front lines of one of our busiest hospitals. I'd like to welcome Dr. Jamie Spiegelman, internal medicine and critical care physician at Humber River Hospital. Dr. Spiegelman, Dr. Spiegelman, excuse me. uh, Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. So what is the situation in the ICU at your hospital and in emergency? Uh, So uh, definitely we're, we're definitely uh, pretty deep into the third wave right now. Um, it seems to have plateaued, but it's really hard to interpret day by day in terms of where we're going. But clearly, uh, our ICUs and hospital are full, full of COVID patients um, that we've accumulated over the last two to three weeks. Definitely, we saw a spike in admissions about two weeks ago into the hospital, not only to medical wards, but to the ICU with patients that are, are very sick. Um, and uh, it's quite interesting to see this third wave population because what we're seeing is, for sure, the patients in, are younger. They're anywhere between the age of 20 and 99, we've seen in the last couple couple of weeks. But uh, in general, the average age would be 50 to 60s. And what we've noticed is a lot of these patients that are coming in are essential workers or family members are essential workers, and all their family are getting COVID. So we're seeing families with covid and some of patients, some of these people in their family, the family members are very, very sick, requiring ICU and ventilators. Some of them just have a sore throat. So we're seeing definitely variable phenotypes of uh, COVID with family members. And we're, we're at the point where we are pretty full in the hospital. And what the government has done and the ICU in Ontario have done is we basically made all ICUs in Ontario one big ICU. So what we're doing right now on a daily basis is we're taking one of, some of our ICU patients that have COVID and sending them to other areas that have low, lower rates of COVID. For example, today I sent a patient to Ottawa, Thunder Bay, and Kitchener, where they really don't have too many COVID patients. And the purpose of this is to make space in our hospital just in case we do get into a significant surge in the next couple of weeks where we need beds and nurses to take care of these patients. So the issues we're having in the ICU really are twofold. Uh, One of them is the number of COVID patients. And the other one is lack of nurses that t- could take care of these patients. We, Doctor Spiegelman, not- Doctor Spiegelman, I just want to ask you something. I'm, I'm, I'm not even sure if if you heard the news that came out this morning. The health minister and the head of the Ontario Health teams announced yeah. that uh, they are now giving hospitals the right to transfer alternate level of care patients. Uh, to nursing homes, to long-term care without their consent. Were you aware of that? That just happened. Yeah, yeah no, I know. I, I heard about it. And, and you know, it's a very political decision to do that uh, decision by the government. However, I do think, at least temporarily, it's probably the right decision because we are taking care of patients in hospital and medical wards that don't need hospitalization. They just, they're waiting for a nursing home and they select a nursing home that have a wait list. So, Right now, I think we have to decant those patients to appropriate level of care so we have space for COVID patients. Right. So the first question I have is, uh, how does, uh, you're talking about ICUs and specialized teams and specialized equipment. So how yeah. does uh, getting, uh, uh, getting rid is a bad word, how does, how does uh, uh, decanting a patient in a general ward that doesn't have those things going to help clear space in the ICUs where, again, you need equipment and specialized teams? 
to me, the answer is quite simple. Uh, those patients on the floors take up a bed. They take up a nurse's. A nurse needs to take care of them. And what we could do is redeploy these nurses to the ICU. We could have a bed available for COVID patients that are waiting in the emergency room to those to the wards, so they don't take up the emergency room bed. So it's a whole domino effect having these patients taking up a bed on the on a medical floor. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, I guess on the other side, the concern is, um, you know, the government has said that they will try to make sure these patients are vaccinated, but there's no guarantee. Uh, there's no guarantee that the personal support workers who can now move from home to home are vaccinated themselves. I mean, uh, do you worry that that these patients are, you know, their their safety is being sacrificed? Yeah, no, I agree. It's a concern everyone has. Um we do have an active program in our hospital to vaccinate every patient that wants a vaccine in the, in the hospital. So a lot of these patients, at least in our hospital, get vaccinated, at least their first dose before they're going to a nursing home. Uh, but it is everyone's concern. Obviously, if you're an elderly person uh, and you're going to be exposed to COVID, there's a high chance that you get very sick from it. So I think we have to be very, very on guard in terms of this and ensure that these patients get vaccinated for sure. And as someone in the hospital, are you satisfied that that this will only take place in a very dire circumstance? In terms of what? Well, the the they announced uh, the that hospitals yeah. can move people without their consent, and yeah. the health minister said only in a very bad situation. Yeah, exactly. And only if, uh, yeah, uh, this only will happen, and it's, only, it's something that we'll only do or any hospital I think would do is if we need that bed for patients waiting in the emergency room. So if there's no waiting, I I think uh, obviously we'll work with the families and the patient to make sure that they get to the appropriate place that they want to get to. But if we need beds and the patient themselves don't need uh, hospital level care, then waiting in another facility like a nursing home to get to their other facility that they want seems appropriate if the system needs it. And and has it happened already? Do you know? Not not in our hospital, right? Right now, we're working with families and working with our team to get them to appropriate level and to appropriate nursing homes that they want to go to. Um, yeah, we're in the northwest part of Toronto, so a lot of our patients want to go to places like Villa Colombo, Baycrest, things like that. And there have been pretty good dispositions in terms of getting patients there at this point. Yeah, I mean, the, another thing the health minister said that that uh, they would try to make sure that, you know, that they're culturally ap- appropriate placements, linguistically appropriate, uh, and uh, I think that's what you were referring to there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so we're trying to get them, our social workers, social work service is trying to get them to the appropriate service, and if it's not the appropriate place, then we're providing them options and having their applications go on board if they need to go somewhere temporarily. And just what do you make of of being in this situation in the third wave when, you know, we've been dealing with this in one form or another for a year? You know, I think I'm going to talk on behalf of all healthcare providers. I think we have, uh, we, we all feel from a, from a healthcare provider, doctors, nurses, everyone that works in the hospital, a little let down in terms of what has happened with this third wave and, you know, the enrollment of vaccinations, which probably could have avoided this third wave being so severe. Um, uh, public health measures coming in late, uh, although I think now they're appropriate in terms of the lockdowns and what we're doing as a society. So we do feel a little let down in terms of what has happened. Uh, we're dealing with it. We're taking care of patients appropriately. Uh, there has been I don't know if uh, burnout is the right term for all our healthcare providers, especially nurses. I think what the right term is called, we, we call it moral injury, where we feel unsupported by the system. Um, but I think uh, hopefully we'll get through this in the next couple of weeks and we go back and have a summer. Uh, do you think, I mean, in the first instance, <laughs> Older people were were supposedly supposed to get the first shot of vaccines. That didn't roll out in a perfect way by any means, but that was based on evidence, I think. Did did the province take too long to pivot to uh, areas that are at risk and essential workers? I mean, 
what was the problem that you see? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, the science table uh, uh, appropriately recommended to divert vaccinations to higher risk areas, such as where Humber River Hospital is, where I work in the northwest part of Toronto, Brampton as well, and also provide vaccinations to to uh, essential workers earlier on. Uh, they tried the government, I guess, tried to distribute more equally among our, the whole province rather than focus in these higher risk areas. So we're doing that now. Like it's a little, it's a, probably a couple weeks too late for this, but uh, I think we are doing this now. Um, and I think the evidence is clear that we should be doing this. Like we're, we have to focus on areas where this outbreak is uh, is really gone rampant, and that really is in the northwest part of Toronto, Scarborough. Uh, those are the areas where we're most uh, hard hit at this point. Well, I guess the the pandemic is moving a lot faster, certainly, than our leaders. Um, to end on a hopeful note, uh, at the beginning, you said you think this might be plateauing. It seems like that from uh, from what we're seeing in our hospital. I, I can't really talk about other hospitals like Brampton's still pretty busy, but at Humber River Hospital, our uh, COVID emissions have kind of plateaued. We're still getting getting patients admitted. For example, two weeks ago, there was one day we admitted something like 30 or 30 COVID patients to the hospital, which is a quite significant number of patients. And over the last 24 hours, I counted about eight patients were admitted. Uh, so, so we are seeming to plateau. But that being said, those 35 patients that were admitted two weeks ago are still in hospital. They're still sick. And some of them are trickling down to ICU requiring intubation and ventilation. So we are still dealing with the effects of those patients that we saw two weeks ago. So I'm hoping that we are plateauing and then two weeks from now, those numbers keep on going down and we don't have to admit ongoing to the ICU and putting more and more patients on ventilators as they deteriorate. Well, we certainly hope so, too, Dr. Jamie Spiegelman. We really, really appreciate your time and take care. And um, everyone appreciates all your efforts and how hard it must be to work in those conditions. Well, thanks for having me. Okay. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Take care. We're going to take another break. And uh, when we come back, we will be talking to the head of the Personal Support Workers Association. Uh, we have some news on that front as well when we come back. Attention, passengers. This is your captain speaking. Looks like we have a full cabin today. Really, Dad? We're expecting a pretty smooth trip. Our crew will be handing out snacks shortly. Stand by. Tad, stop. The 2021 Ford Explorer. With available seating for up to seven and standard intelligent four-wheel drive, it's travel redefined. Right now, get 0.99% purchase financing for up to 72 months on most new 2021 Explorer models. For details, contact your Toronto area Ford dealer or visit Ford.ca. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We are going to head to the head of the Personal Support Workers Association. But first, I want to take a call from Murray, who's been waiting very patiently. Hi, Murray. Hi, how are you today? Fine, how are you? Oh, not bad. Listen, uh, we still don't know for sure if getting the vaccine will stop us from spreading the virus. So this, this is going to turn into a bigger issue than what we thought. But if everybody in the home where people are being transferred are vaccinated, then they're not going to get seriously ill, we hope. We hope. Yeah, we hope. <laughs> and uh, we <laughs> so, hope. Uh, so asking uh, PSW if they have the uh, had the shot yet or not really doesn't matter. And even if you do, don't they have the right... Like, if I asked uh, PSW to come in my home and I asked them if they had the uh, shot yet and they don't want to disclose it, I still have the option of saying, well, you can go home or call somebody else. Well, yeah, if you can get somebody else. But, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> okay, that's my point. Thank okay, you. thank you. Yeah. Okay, well, adequate home care, as we were referring to, is one way to help people stay out 
of long-term care. And this week, the province announced that it will regulate personal support workers. That's something the sector has been wanting for a long time. So how will that help? What exactly does it mean? I'd like to bring in Miranda Ferrier, president and founder of the Ontario Personal Support Worker Association. Hi, Miranda. Hi, Libby. So, uh, in the midst of uh, this entire big mess, uh, you are now going to be regulated. Uh, tell me yes. about that. Yes, actually, this is a historic win uh, for personal support workers. Um, as I've talked before in your show about how hard we've been lobbying uh, past governments and this government for some formal recognition of our hardworking PSWs. Uh, and so we were thrilled with the announcement yesterday. Obviously, we had been talking with the Ministry of Health for months leading up to the, to yesterday's announcement. Um, but we're, we're quite thrilled with it. It's a solid working base to grow from. Well, what exactly does it mean right now? How are PSWs trained and how will that change? I don't think the training will change. Um, the PSWs are trained in career colleges, you know, Board of Education, community colleges across our province. Um, there is a standard of education, but now that will be even more enforced, we believe, underneath this new authority. Um, PSWs will be held accountable for their actions, but they will also have the professional recognition that is bestowed upon all of the other healthcare workers that we work with every single day, and we will become a solid part of the healthcare team. Um, that is, you know, it's the most respect we could ask for. It, it's fantastic. Well, Right now, are PSWs not part of a healthcare team? Well, they are. Um, they definitely are. But they're also the only unregulated uh, worker in those healthcare teams. And unfortunately, that's created over the years some massive divide uh, between the regulated healthcare providers and, of course, personal support workers. And PSWs not feeling like they're being taken seriously, um, you know, when they have their own input or they have direction about a patient. So this will really kind of cement the personal support worker in Ontario healthcare, uh, the term personal support worker, as opposed to whatever they feel like calling them that day. Um, just like a nurse is a nurse, the doctor is a doctor, and now a PSW is going to be a PSW. So uh, this is really good news for not just PSWs, but also Ontarians. There is a critical shortage of PSWs. Do you think that this will help recruit people into the profession? Absolutely. You know, what we're doing now is we're going to professionalize the PSWs. So they're going to be regulated. And there comes a certain sense of pride that comes from being regulated. Um, you know, it's a regulated profession, which means that, you know, changes that are made will no longer be Band-Aid solutions. So just throwing this out there, what about full-time work, uh, wages, um, solidifying our scope of practice. So PSWs will not be asked to perform duties outside of the scope anymore and have the right to say no. Um, and it will be a, a better mechanism for protection of the public. That's really why this authority is going to be, uh, you know, formed is not just to recognize the personal support workers for the outstanding work that they do and have done for over two decades in our province, but also protect the public. So if you have personal support workers out there that abused, uh, neglect, uh, you know, anything uh, along those lines, they could lose their license or their certificate as a PSW and not be able to just, you know, pick up, walk down the street and get hired at another long-term care facility or home care company. So this is really uh, the beginning to some very positive change. Well, you mentioned wages and uh, full-time work, and that's something we've been hearing about for a very long time. And I did not see in this announcement a bump to your wages or any kind of guarantee of, of full-time work. It's still in the creation. So the bill was introduced yesterday. We're very confident that he's going to pass in the House. And then the creation of the inner workings, uh, regulations, uh, bylaws of this authority will then start being worked on. And that's when the real work comes into play and the change. Are you saying that you expect uh, a wage hike to be put into law? I can say that I'm very hopeful. And and what about full-time work? I mean, we, we've seen a lot of agency workers. We've seen a lot of long-term care workers. Uh, and, you know, they they have to work in multiple homes because 
the the people that hire them don't want to give them a full time job with benefits. I think the the gain age of PFWs being taken advantage of because of their unregulated status uh, will come to an end. Uh, not as quick as I hope. I mean, quick. I wish it was tomorrow or today uh, that those changes could, could be put into place. But it's going to give us an opportunity to start our way towards that sort of change. Mm-hmm. And yeah. how long? I, I also saw some money for training. Yeah. Tell me. <laughs> so I, I believe it's $86 million has been put forward for career and um, school board. Uh, personal support worker programs where both will be uh, training uh, 4,000 PSWs, new PSWs in career, and 4,000 new PSWs in the Board of Education. Uh, again, another 8,000 PSWs, free tuition, um, and same deal as community colleges. Is there anything in this? I mean, there is a current shortage. I'm sure you're very well aware of it. Is there anything in this that can help the situation now? Um, that's a really good question, Libby. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I mean, we've seen really great uptake in the community colleges uh, with their PS free PSW programs. The uh, students are already actively working in different long-term care homes or home care companies. And, um, you know, while they're in school to become personal support workers. So, you know, it is remains to be seen, but at least there's some movement. At least there's something, right? A- anything else you want to leave us with? Um. No, I just, uh, you know, I think that it's, I love your talk show, Libby. I always think you hit it right on the head and you make us question ourselves. So uh, thanks for the opportunity. Okay. And thank you for the compliment. Uh, that's Miranda Ferrier, the president and founder of the Ontario Personal Support Worker Association. Thanks, Miranda. Thanks, Libby. Okay. Uh, I keep saying, okay, that's all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Since last week, we've been telling you about the plan to move alternate level of care patients from hospitals into long-term care. The province was offering a carrot, presumably, that if patients moved to a home that was not their first choice, they would not lose their place in the queue. Now, this plan worried me, as I have been saying for the last week or so, but the saving grace, I thought, was that it was voluntary. Well, that is no longer the case. The province has amended its emergency orders to allow hospitals to move patients to long-term care without their consent. And get this, the health minister said that they would, quote, make every effort to ensure that these patients were vaccinated, which means there are no guarantees that the patient's who are moving into long-term care without their consent, are vaccinated. And this is happening just as the province is allowing personal support workers to again work in multiple homes. Is the government just sacrificing our elders? The numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Forty, And now let's go to MPP, Sarah Singh, Deputy Leader of the Official Opposition NDP and Critic for Seniors, Home Care and Long-Term Care, and David Kravit, Vice President of Zoomer Media and Chief Membership Officer at CARP. Hello and thanks for joining us. Hi, Libby. Hi, Libby. Thanks so much for having us on. Okay, well, let us begin with David, your reaction. Well, there's a bit of a double whammy here. They're just floundering. The, the, it's, it's amazing that they're allowing this. She says it's going to be in very rare cases. They're going to make every effort. It almost sounds like they don't know. I mean, don't they know whether a given patient has been 
vaccinated or not. She also didn't say they're going to insist that they be tested, I assume, minimally. Interestingly, in the Auditor General's report, I had an opportunity to skim through the 107 pages in the last hour. It did mention this ALC uh, transfer during the first wave of COVID as having been very uh, haphazard and disorganized and causing problems in some places, but not others. Um, so it, it seems like it's a, a step to relieve the pressure from the hospitals, uh, maybe out of desperation, but not terribly, uh, terribly well thought through. Well, well, yeah. And in the first round, you know, we know that the government has, has uh, almost admitted that that transfer that they took uh, in order to clear the hospitals was one of the causes of what Absolutely. happened there. And, Absolutely. you know, uh, the one thing I'm noticing is that in her remarks, the health minister said, oh, we'll only use this if it's absolutely necessary in extreme cases. But there's no criteria for that. The emergency order says hospitals, you can do this. And uh, the rest of it, I guess, uh, is is just a matter of, of their judgment call. Um, uh, MPP Singh. No, I think, uh, you know, Libby, as, as you highlighted, I think that's what's really concerning to us. That I think there was uh, a sort of hope that this might be a voluntary uh, measure that would be put in place. Um, and it's absolutely heartbreaking to think that, you know, seniors are going to be sent uh, far, far away from their families uh, without any, uh, you know, opportunity to object with that or even receiving their consent. Um, you know, we, we already know that uh, long-term care, uh, you know, devastating impacts throughout the pandemic. Um, and that there are staffing shortages in, in many of these homes. And so to know that folks are going to be moved around um, in, in the capacity that the suggesting is deeply troubling um, and very, very concerning that there isn't a, a lot of clarity around what's going to happen and, and what types of protections are going to be put in place for these vulnerable seniors. Well, protections. I mean, when they announced that they were lifting the restriction on personal support workers and allowing them to work in mon- multiple homes, they said vaccinated ones. But the fact is that uh, your vaccination status is considered to be personal health information. Your employer cannot ask you. Now, I gather that that they ask people to disclose on a voluntary basis, but who knows? They have staffing shortages and there may be unvaccinated personal support workers doing the same thing, bringing uh, the infection from one home to another, David. Oh, well, that's true. And there's no way to know as long as they don't treat it as something that uh, you can police. I also would point out that there's a lot of uh, hidden landmines in this whole transfer getting back to the ALCs. And that it's such timing that she would they'd have this announcement that the same day as Lissick's Auditor General's report comes out. So she points out the link between the nursing homes, the hospitals and the healthcare system is tenuous and disorganized at best. And they found that less than 50% of the nursing homes had an informal partnership with the hospital. Uh, what is that relationship? Can the local uh, health uh, officials, public health uh, officers intervene? Yes, no, maybe. Can the nursing home refuse to take? What if I want? I don't want the liability? What if I say to the ministry, you can't transfer anybody in here because I don't have any room and I'm not geared up for it? Can they decline? Uh, it's a recipe for, you know, the devil's in the details. And I'm afraid there's a lot of devilish, very devilish details in this sort of chaotic uh, uh, system that we have here. Sarah Singh, uh, do you take any comfort at all from the health minister saying we will only use this as a, a desperate measure? Absolutely not. And I don't think families across Ontario do either. You know, we've seen from the start of this pandemic, the government failed to make the investments that we needed uh, to help protect vulnerable seniors, uh, to protect staff. Um, you know, I, I really do think it's uh, empty words from, from the Minister of Health at this point. Um, you know, they, they haven't done what they needed to help ensure that staffing ratios uh, were increased, um, that, you know, PBE was being provided in a, you know, a, 
necessary manner. Um, I, I really don't find comfort in what the Minister of Health says. And I think, you know, to, to just kind of pick up on what David was saying, it's just so much chaos and confusion for families and, and seniors at this point, um, rather than come up with a real plan to ensure that we're protecting those vulnerable seniors. Uh, the government has resorted to these, uh, you know, last resort measures at this point. Um, and it's not clear, again, you know, if, if this is what is going to happen, there should be clear protocols in place so people understand uh, what those expectations will look like if someone is going to be transferred, what the protocols are. There's no clarity. And, you know, as David said, the devil is in the details. And without those, um, you know, pieces being very transparent, it's really hard to say what's going to actually happen in reality. I mean, I'm very curious to know what brought this on. I mean, they introduced this as, you know, with a voluntary element. But my question is, why would anybody volunteer to do this? Well, you know, I think when we look at what's happening in our ICUs, I mean, you know, medical experts have been sounding the alarm bells um, for quite some time now, indicating that we were nearing uh, overcapacity and, and the government didn't do what it needed to do to help protect people in communities to prevent the strain on ICUs. Um, you know, things like paid sick days, for example, evacuating a so that those folks weren't getting sick. Um, these were measures that they could have implemented that potentially could have stopped the strain on our, our on our hospital capacity and ICU, um, but they didn't do this. And now that's why we find ourselves in the situation we do where folks have to be transferred out of those hospitals into these long-term care homes. Um, it just doesn't make sense. And it's really disappointing that they've had every opportunity to make the investments to implement the public health measures that were needed to protect communities and that they chose not to do that. Well, you know, I, I'm going to bring in a, a personal story here. I've, I've already told our listeners that I was actually in a hospital about two weeks ago. And on one of the nights, I uh, had a roommate who was one of these alternate level of care patients. It was a night and a day. And I was completely bowled over at the care she was giving, the, getting. The nurse was in there really frequently. The nurse would call someone else in who came right away to keep turning her in her bed so she wouldn't get bed sores. They fed her. They set up television for her. They brought her an iPad so her husband could talk to her. Uh, the woman was suffering with dementia. I certainly couldn't uh, communicate with her, but I was bowled over. I thought, wow, this is fantastic care. Now, why would anybody agree to send her from there to an understaffed nursing home, David? Well, that's the, see, that's the whole key. That's the unanswered question. What, I mean, if you're saying I have to move you out of the hospital and I can't replicate the hospital that readily, I need that bed, that hospital bed, I need the equipment, I need the physical plant because of this wave of, of COVID cases. Okay, but what am I moving you into? How does an overcrowded, understaffed nursing home qualify as the place that I can move you to? Again, going back to Lissek's report, uh, she quoted in, in that whole uh, uh, ALC case that in, in the first wave, Quebec was moving some people into, into hotels. They were creating a space that wasn't so that they wouldn't have to put them into uh, you know, undermanned nursing homes. Is there, are there not other facilities? If you do need to free up the ICUs, I'm not qualified to say you shouldn't do that. Why does it make sense to put them into a crowded, possibly inadequately prepared, certainly inadequately inspected nursing home? That's the part I don't get. Why is that the, the catchment for the overage? You know, and it looks like they're just offloading this uh, on to vulnerable seniors again. Well, yeah, and the the other question I have, and again, this is from personal experience, is, uh, you know, even if they moved the woman in the bed next to me, the ward I was not on was not an ICU. It was not a COVID ward. Uh, and uh, there weren't, as far as I know, COVID patients on. I know that they isolate people until the COVID test comes back. But Sarah Singh, I don't even know how this would solve their problem. 
No, I, I think that's the, the underlying concern for folks is, you know, there's going to be compromised care. Um, quality of care is, is simply not going to be there. And then, again, you know, uh, as the Auditor General's report very clearly outlines, um, you know, there's so much overcrowding happening with these old ward rooms. We don't know uh, where these folks are going to be transferred to um, and, and what type of conditions they're going to be forced to, to be living in. Um, and, and I think that highlights, again, just a complete lack of planning and preparedness from this government, um, as well as preparing, um, you know, the system for 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 this, these uh, protocols to be put into place, uh, it, it's extremely concerning. I think for for many of us, and uh, it's horrifying. I, I know for many families who are going to be put in in these very very unfortunate circumstances. Okay, uh, Sarah, I know that you have to go. Uh, anything you want to leave us with? No, I just uh, thank you so much for the time. And I think, you know, as we look to our long-term care system, it's just really disappointing that uh, this conservative government and, in fact, the liberals before them really didn't make the investments we needed uh, to protect our seniors. And now, you know, even as the Auditor General outlines, uh, you know, we see this sort of perfect storm happening here throughout COVID and uh, really think that many of our vulnerable seniors are, are paying the price here for the government's inaction. Okay. MPP Sarah Singh, Deputy Leader of the Opposition NDP, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks so much for having me on. Have a great day, everyone. Okay, thank you. David continues with us, and I am bringing in Doris Greenspoon, who's the CEO of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. Hi, Doris. Hi, how are you, Libby? I'm fine, thank you. Doris, uh... ALC patients can now be moved to nursing homes without their consent. What is your reaction? The whole situation is atrocious, Libby. Um, it's, it's horrifying. The fact that we need to move 1,500, and many have been moved already, to, to long-term care simply because the government is mismanaging yet again a third wave and to do so without consent is basically, yet again, first wave and first wave, we deprive them from the rights to have their families. Now we are depriving them from the rights to make a choice and to be with their essential care partners, because if they move them far away, they will again not see them. But there is something more serious, Libby, that I want to share with your audience. I don't think we have a government today. And this is a statement that is the first time I'm saying it throughout this entire pandemic. I think Ontario today does not have a functioning government. And that's dangerous for the public because we are in the midst of a brutal third wave. And this will continue. Uh, I, I just wanted to uh, uh, amend something that you said about essential workers. So if, if these people are in hospitals now, th- you can't have visitors in hospitals now. They won't allow it. So, so uh, the one thing they are already being deprived of are their essential caregivers. Uh, I'm bef- Before I get to the phones, Doris, I just want to know, you know, what would you say to people who are making an analogous suggestion? And we know that, that people in ICUs are being moved without their consent to places far, uh, far away if, uh, if they're, um, you know, I, if the ICUs are I full. Saying what I'm saying, Libby. Sorry? I totally agree with you. It's outrageous about ICU people. And it's nothing we can do because if not, they die because there is no place. We have people sitting in emergency rooms in hospitals that need an ICU bed and cannot get it because we are mismanaging the third wave living. The third wave is not to create more and more beds and transfer uh, people into from to nursing homes and open more beds. As you saw, they brought nine people from Newfoundland. We sent already 400 nurses that we brought out of retirement uh, to ICUs. The way to manage is to manage the spread of the pandemic. This government is refusing to do it, and now they're entangled in their own uh, dynamics internally, in fights internally as caucus and as cabinet. We don't have a government and the public should protect themselves in terms of not exposing themselves to the virus because the virus is not stopping. stopping. They need to protect themselves because there is no government to protect us anymore. 
they need to protect themselves of not going to crowded places and to get the vaccine whenever any vaccine gets, because all the vaccines are good. Um, uh, I just want to have a note for uh, callers. I will get to your call, so please be patient. The number's again, 416-360-0740. Toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. And do, David, do you see anything analogous between the transfer of patients who need ICU beds to places that are far away and the, and the transfer of ALC patients? Well, I think the analogy, uh, there is an analogy. The only problem is that the details on what is happening in that ICU unit, what treatment is individual X receiving, where else can that treatment be had, we normally would look at that as a completely medical decision. You know, if I live in a small town, I'm, God forbid, have to fly in by the you know helicopter to the big hospital that's got the facility. We we accept some moving around in the interest of better facilities and better treatment. And I'm speaking here completely as a layman, obviously. So we don't know. I don't know. I can't answer it because how many people are in an ICU for observing? How many are getting oxygen? I think 100 and something getting ventilators. We don't have that kind of information about where are they being moved to and what's happening to them when they move. If it was a question of saving a life, I think most people would accept, of course, that a loved one is going to be moved to where they can get better treatment. But because all the details are murky, uh, it's it's very disconcerting. And then when you add on top of it, now I'm going to move you into a nursing home on the same day as we see a report as to how bad the situation is in nursing homes. Uh, what what do they think? How do they think what is going to feel about all this? It's amazing that they don't that, that maybe they think that this is OK, that they can explain this. But it's very, very worrisome and it looks very disorganized. And David, uh, what do you think about uh, these repeated assurances, again, not in writing, that this will only be used in, in very dire circumstances? Well, I think it's, I think it's both to be expected. Uh, she has to say that. She can't say, well, you know, if we feel like it, we'll move you along. I don't know. We'll flip a coin. I mean, she's going to say this is rare. This is going to be very infrequent. God willing, it'll never happen at all. It's it's what she's expected to say, and I hope she's right. I think that is what she must say. I think they. I, I do take it on faith that they are going to be very careful about this. They are going to be very judicious about this. They're not oh, going to be willy nilly. It's already about happening. It's not that will happen. It's okay. happening. Yes. Well, I hope well, that they're really serious about I, it. I'd like to... Not sharing that it's a different situation, but yeah. I'm involving the insight of the story. This is happening. So are you yeah. saying, Doris, that even before this emergency order was amended, they moved people without their consent? No. There was the, we knew that was going to happen, and already now it's starting to happen. I know of specific organizations that are accepting 40 residents. Of course, of course, every effort will be done that they go to a place of choice. Of course, every effort will be done that it be close by to where the essential care partners are so they can continue, you know, they can visit their loved one. But when we have a government that is mismanaging the transmission of this virus and we expect more, the numbers in ICUs are increasing. So this will happen more and more. And let's not forget that the virus from India is here now. And you saw what happened in India. And this government is refusing to close non-essential warehouses. And people need to put food on the table. And they don't want to pay sick time. So if if we don't understand as a people that the spread will continue because we cannot write ourselves out of it with vaccines at this point because we are going as fast as we can with vaccines. But this will take another month until we even reach enough of the hotspots vaccination to vaccinate everybody and help them protect themselves. Okay, let's take a call from Sita in Mississauga. Hi, Sita. Hi, how are you, Libby? Fine, go on. You're on the air. Yeah, I think you guys are looking at this all wrong. Um, by moving a patient into care home, these patients will not be in the hospital where they're being there for so long and not having the specific care. By being in 
in these homes, we will be freeing up the beds where patients in the hospital can go and come. The only issue is that they shouldn't should have a choice to go into the right home. But so they hope- don't. They said they the reason they're in hospital is because they don't have a, a exactly. place. Exactly. And the other piece that to assume that in nursing homes they will receive the best better care than in the hospital when the poor homes don't have the staffing because nothing has changed between the announcement to today in terms of increasing staffing. Nothing. Well, they should come down more harder on these homes. These ho- people are paying their, to be into these homes to have the love and the care that they need for the rest of their life. But they are just making p- profits. They should be charging the, uh, charging the persons who is in charge. I mean, care workers who are working there, they should all be vaccinated so they can go from home to home freely. But well, why are they refusing the vaccine? Well, some of them do refuse. And Sita, all the things that you've just said, well, we just had another report saying all the same things. Everybody's been saying that. And my fear is the report will be used yet as another excuse and another delay when we have a third wave that we need to deal better and we are not, and the report will distract us from that. Okay, well, Sita, thank you very much for your call. Thank you. Take care. Yeah, I mean, uh, Sita's first reaction was good. We need the space in the hospitals. Let's clear the beds. And I don't know, David, maybe well, the I, province I think, is banking I, on the fact that most people will react that way because well, ageism. Yes, yes, I think I think so. I mean, but nobody's saying, or at least I'm not. I'm not, especially as a again a layperson, saying that there's a frivolous reason to move them out of the hospital that uh, there is a third way. The hospitals are being engulfed. We do need those beds. I think everybody can accept the seriousness of the need to make that transfer. The question is, it's not voluntary, and and your solution of where you're going to move them to, move them into a system which is already overloaded with a hotbed of infection, still doesn't have proper infection controls widespread, has no inspection regime worthy of the name, as we learned in Lisek's report today. Uh, that well, Why are you moving them in there? It's not why are you freeing up the bed in the hospital. I get that. Why there and why without consent? And that, I think, is the issue here for us. Well, and why is the government refusing to do what the science table has said to stop the third wave? Uh, Doris, nothing on that. do you think yes. uh, David's idea of moving them somewhere other than long-term care, whether it's a hotel or some of these, I remember they opened up some decommissioned hospital beds, uh, do you think that could work? Well, Libby, these are residents, these are people that require care. Let me tell you, they have not put it public yet, but not only they will move them to long-term care, they may move them to retirement homes. Retirement homes don't have any health professional. They are in a hospital because they need still some type of care, right? So uh, this, the, 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 that we need to get out of the crunch, we need to get out of the crunch, but we are not stopping the situation. We are not stopping the that's the biggest concern of the science table of doctors and nurses, that this will continue. So then what? What will be next? Once we fill those 1,500 beds and those people that will be transferred along with the ones that are already there will receive inappropriate care because there is not enough staffing in those nursing homes by government decision, not the homes, I'm sorry. Uh, Doris, do you have proof that some of them will be sent to retirement homes? We were told. We were told by senior officials. This is not my invention. And how many will be going to retirement homes? Well, I hope none. Libby, I was outraged. I hope none. We all hope none. Because in retirement homes, as you said, uh, there's there's not a very high level of care. Well, that's the next in line. Once we fill these 1,500 beds, if we need more, that's what we were told, and, and I stand by that because it was in a formal meeting with government. And I just want to, I bef- before we wrap things up, I just want to clarify something, because in the government's announcements, I didn't see a number. So what is this 1,500 number? 1,500 that you're... is the memo from Matt Anderson, who is the head of Ontario Health, that new mega-agency, 
are sent to the hospitals, and I can send it to you, basically saying we want you in the next two weeks, and this was already a week ago, so a week is left. That's why I know transfers are happening as we speak, and I know because of my colleagues that work in nursing homes. We want you to do everything possible to transfer 1,500 patients ALC from hospitals to nursing homes. And then in a subsequent meeting, we heard that nursing homes is first, and then if we need more, likely will be also retirement homes. Wow. But the issue is this. Like your pre- the previous commentator just said, we need to free up the hospital beds because, because people that cannot breathe are coming. The issue is we need to stop the spread because if not, there is no end to it because the vaccine will take at least a month and a half to two for us to get out of this mess. So if they refuse, if this government that is now in in fights themselves is no government at this point, if they cannot pull themselves together to govern and to say we need to actually close the non-essential services and help those workers, we need then on the essential services paid sick time and swallow the pride of the, of, of, of the fact that they took the sick time away when the week after they came into power. If they cannot pull themselves to do that, we are in dire, even more dire situation, Libby. Okay, well, I mean, they've said they'll pay, but they can't administer. That's a whole other question. Uh, Doris, thank you very, very much for clarifying those numbers. And uh, before we wrap up this segment, David, what's your reaction to hearing those numbers? Well, it's, it's it's very scary, and um, you know the it's it's like a perfect storm. All these little neglectful things pile up and pile up. And I was going to say uh, to what Doris was saying earlier is that even if it's not the building you're moving them to, it's the shortage of care, the inability to deliver the care there. So uh, my big win, I freed up the hospital bed, which I certainly need to do, only to deliver somebody who needs care, the kind of care maybe that you saw uh, Libby, yourself, that you were counting. Suddenly, who's going to deliver that care? We don't have enough nurses. We don't have enough PSWs. The, the nursing homes are are engulfed already. All you're doing is, you know, squeezing the toothpaste out of the tube and dropping it in somebody else's lap, and that's not a solution. We are basically having an Italy inside our organizations, and the government is just not leaving it naked for the public to see. Except that Italy was on the first wave when they didn't know any better. We are on the third wave, and we know what we need to do, and the science table gave the marching orders, and they're not happening. Okay. It's preventable. This is preventable. All right. Uh, Doris, again, thank you for clarifying that. Uh, Doris Greenspoon and David Kravitz, thank you so much for being with us. Thank, thank you, Libby. you very much, Libby, and good to meet you, David. Good okay. to meet you, Doris. Thank you. Okay. Uh, callers, hang on. Uh, when we come back on the other side of the break, we will take a look at this from the other side, from what is happening in our ICU. So hang on, and we'll be back right after the break. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.